Advanced Principles Podcast, or app, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On app, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. Most individuals are operating at least two levels below the position or title that they hold. Or did it kind of come to you by surprise and them asking you to step up? We don't hire robots, we hire individuals. April Fool's joke turned into now 12 years of successfully running your own organization. Tom Cafsezi is president and CEO of Molto Crescendo and is an executive coach and master group facilitator. Prior to creating Molto Crescendo, he spent over 20 years inside corporate America, occupying leadership roles in operations, learning and development, organizational development, talent management, and human resources. Tom is passionate about leadership and team development and has a passion to help organizations and leaders get the people stuff right. He believes if you have the right talent in place and get the people stuff right, everything else falls into place. All right, Tom. Well, wow. Very impressive bio and background. I'm super excited to dive into your story. Let all the listeners and viewers kind of learn more about you and, and what you bring to the company and bring to the table and kind of how you got to where you are. So thank you very much for taking the time out to be a guest on app here today. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. So let's just kind of start at the root of it all and, and a little bit of backstory on you and, and where you grew up and kind of the very beginning of your professional career. Yeah, yeah, that, that won't take long. I'm so young. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, I was born in Connecticut, but I was I was actually raised in Central Florida my entire life. So you could say I'm a Floridian at mm-hmm. heart, um, you know, but um, my professional journey kind of started when I was working in customer service as a customer service rep and um, I was in medical claims processing for a very well-known large insurance company that, you know, kind of is featured by the Peanuts gang, if you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I think I might um, know that. Yeah, um, or at least one of those, right? The one that sits on a doghouse. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but starting there, I quickly rose from an individual contributor to different levels of management and leadership and, um, and then decided I wanted to leave Central Florida and come to Miami, which is really where my career took off. And okay. uh, I've been here for 33 years and I spent most of my career in operations leadership, leading operations teams. Um, both in the healthcare setting and outside of healthcare. And, um, um, and then I fell into human resources and organizational development. It wasn't intentional, but I was invited to kind of step into that space. That was about 12 years ago now. And, um, and I've been in that space ever since because I enjoy it immensely. Wow, very cool. So a little bit of customer service, a lot of operations, and then into the HR. So it kind of sounds like the perfect package for doing what you do, which is management consultant and coach and guidance, because you have so many levels of your lens into an organization. Certainly, all organizations fail if they don't um, continue to perform and meet customer expectations. Operations are what really drive that and get the product out the door. And then HR is a lot of times how it's delivered. So to me, it sounds like a great package to set you up for where you ended up at. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it helps me to gain a lot of credibility with my clients. Like, you know, individuals like I work with operations leaders all the time or shared service leaders. And when I can go in and say, I know where you've been, I know what you're struggling with because I've been there. um, Then they'll invite me in sometimes much more easily than they will an HR person that's from inside the company. I can't imagine any manager or leader being standoffish on an approach to a consultant. I don't, I don't think that ever happens, does it? Oh, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot. So, but, but I have to say, we don't, I've not experienced it that much, so I'm lucky. So obviously, when you were in customer service and an individual contributor, as you said, did you have yearnings for leadership? Was that something that you recognized in yourself early in your career? Or did it kind of come to you by surprise and them asking you to step up? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever thought of that. Um, It was not something that I looked to do or to step into. And it was something that I was asked to step into for sure. Um, And I think, you know, like most organizations that happen because you're the best customer service or you're the best claims person, the best financial analyst. And then, you know, it's like they tap you to say, oh, you could be a supervisor or a manager. so yeah, I was part of that okay. kind of that group, right? Where they promote you based on your subject matter expertise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was in your earlier in your career. And you know, taking on and managing tasks and certainly people is a daunting task, no matter how many years you've been in the professional scene. What were those first couple of weeks like as you were being introduced as a manager and a leader? And how did that settle with you? You know, I think the hardest thing is when you have to step into that role and manage people who were your peers. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the hardest shift. Well, that and realizing that now you're getting results through other people and you're not the person who's making all those things happen on your own. Yeah, I, I would imagine that that's really valuable experience for you to go as you mentor people that are early in their leadership journey, because I really do think that that is difficult, especially like you said, the most common pathway to promotion is because you're the best performer in said category. Well, just because you're the best performer doesn't mean that you're the best teacher, mentor, leader. And it really is hard to understand, hard for people to comprehend. As an individual contributor, I'm about myself and I want to produce results. But now I need to get my own internal satisfaction as well as the team satisfaction through the efforts of others. And that's a difficult transition. And how how did you end up kind of reconciling with that and getting comfortable with it? I had a lot of good mentors. I had a lot of good internal coaches and I had a lot of good leaders who got me there, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish it was just the first time managers who struggle with that. But, you know, from my perspective and working with executives and leaders at all levels of the organization, most still struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, we find that most individuals are operating at least two levels below the position or title that they hold. And so many times wow. I can have a VP operating as an individual contributor, despite the fact that they have a title. Wow. That's extraordinary. I, I just it, it absolutely, as you're saying that I'm going through my history and my professional career and I'm like, yes, I don't think I've ever put words to it like that, but absolutely. Absolutely. So when did you kind of find the, the calling to get into the space that you're in now where, where you really, I would imagine that you had to have some kind of calling to go out and subject yourself to these uh, company board groups and meetings and kind of uh, integration and helping and all this management guidance is what was that decision process like for you? I think you said about 12 years ago when you decided to do this, what was that process like? Yeah, well, so I'm going to be honest with you. Um, 
it wasn't something, well, maybe it was something I'd probably in the back of my mind wanted to do, wanted to be my own boss type of thing. I think okay. that was probably just an inkling in my mind. Um, but um, I think what helped was there was a period of two years where I actually served under two rather dysfunctional leaders in an organization um, that created some pretty painful experiences for not just for me, but our entire team. And after those two instances, quite in succession to one another, I, um, you'll appreciate this. I came home to my spouse on April Fool's Day and I said, you know what? I resigned. I'm going to start my own business. I was joking. It was April Fool's, remember? Wow. Um, and so my spouse said, oh, I'm really proud of you. I know how miserable you've been. And I don't really like the person you've become working in that environment. And so I walked away and kept it to myself, went into work the next morning, and I really did resign. And then that really? was the start of it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is a phenomenal story. If, if nobody gets anything out of this other than that, that's a great walk away moment right there. April Fool's joke turned into now 12 years of successfully running your own organization. Yes, absolutely. That, that is so cool. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. So did you, did it feel empowering and a bit scary kind of that entrepreneurial journey that, that first step when you actually did go in and resign on what I would assume would be April 2nd then? Um, no, not really okay. initially. Not really yeah. initially. I think the shock came about six or seven months into the business when I realized, uh, there's more to me just than me just being a coach or to me just being a consultant. It was, I have to build a business. Oh, are you still there? Hey Ryan, did we freeze? Uh, we did, um, which I'm on a hard ethernet line. Are you on Wi-Fi? I am, let me check, because I have a hard ethernet line too. Let me just make sure it's there. Which that would, um, I'm gonna just double check here. Let me just, let me see here. But I will tell you, I don't have, uh, that's two issues I've never encountered before uh, while doing these. Yeah, it says that I'm I'm good and connected and green. Let me do one thing here. It might have been yeah. me. Let me reset. I'm re I'm reordering the okay. order by which it you know taps into those. Yeah, yeah. So we should be better now. I just made Ethernet number one. So we should be good. Okay. All right. If it does it again, no problem. Yeah, no problem. It's um, uh, okay. So we were kind of talking about six or seven months in. Oh yeah. Um, so at that, um, so at that six or seven month mark, what was that inner conversation like? The little inner dialogue that was happening uh, about where you found yourself at. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing was I realized, oh wow, I just left a six figure job, and I, uh, I've got to get back up there real quick, mm -hmm. and that it wasn't just about being a good coach or being a good consultant. I actually had to build the business. Um, and so I needed to figure out the infrastructure, how I was going to get new clients, the marketing plan, all of those things. And it kind of 
I was wearing all those hats. Wow. And so I think the big, the big thing for me was to realize, wow, when I was in corporate America, I took for granted the people who made those things happen and realized that I was now those people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it is a bit of a shocking revelation, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, and then, so the name Molto Crescendo, uh, where does that come from and, and what does that mean and what does it mean to you and your company and then certainly your clients? Yeah. So I've always been involved in music since I was a kid. And went to, when I first started college, I even majored in like opera and musical performance and things like that. So okay. music always been a part of my life. And the term multi crescendo means to increase the intensity and the volume and um, or the energy behind, you know, behind the volume and with the volume. And um, and so I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. It's about like increasing the, the intensity and the volume of leadership and the effectiveness in organizations. And hmm. sometimes people will still look at me a little cross-eyed and I'm like, OK, think about. I'll use Whitney Houston. Think about when she sings, I will always love you. Mm-hmm. And she sings that song. And, you know, really, it's a great song. It's beautiful, nice words. But we really are all waiting for that last part where she belts it out. Um, and she kind of like, you know, has all those key changes and she's belting it out. And there's a lot of energy and a lot of volume. And so ultimately, that's what we're waiting for. Okay. okay. And that's, that's what we equate. That's what, that's what employees are waiting for from their companies and their leaders. They're waiting for those moments. Yeah. Um, so so the, at, at this most general definition, multi crescendo is a term that just signals for a change in dynamics. Wow. And so okay. at its most rudimentary definition, that's what we're all about is helping organizations respond to that call for a change in dynamics. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Uh, having a little bit of the the story behind it, it makes all the sense. And it certainly brings to light what you do and what you deliver on scene, because I've been fortunate enough to be a part of it and see what you deliver and um, really add that level of energy and change those dynamics. So uh, that's a fantastic, fantastic story. Now, your organization provides a variety of solutions and not just a variety of solutions, but to a wide ranging level of organizations. Um, where I've known consultants and, and uh, facilitators that really only focus in on C-suite or first-time managers or this, you really cover the full spectrum of industry, organizations, and individuals. So why take that approach versus being more specified? Yeah, so I think, I think our niche is pretty clear. We're really all around behaviors in an organization. So we, we are definitely focused in and kind of in on those types of services. Mm-hmm. Um, but with regard, there's no way we can separate out the layers of an organization because if we work with a leader, then inadvertently we have to work with the team to kind of get mm-hmm. them on board with the leader. Or if we're called in as an entry point to work with the team, then we're having to also engage the leader because they need to be there to support. Um, And then of course, no one operates in a vacuum. And so they're touching people across the organization and then we have to pull everybody in. Yeah. 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 That's really, really interesting. One, I think it's a fantastic way for organizations to look at themselves because I do think that uh, individuals, leaders, department heads can become very isolated and I'm going to focus on myself, my team, and however it affects or doesn't affect the other teams that I'm forced to work with, it doesn't matter to me because I'm, I'm worried about this. So I, I love the holistic approach um, to the organization. And certainly, well, and Ryan, but, 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, what yeah. I was going to say, I mean, you're mentioning, I think what you're implying there too, is that organizations are made up of a lot of silos. Mm, and, yes, exactly. And yet it's a system. And if we think of it from a systems thinking perspective, like you can't change one thing over here and it not affects something else in the system. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You're absolutely right. Siloed and not understand how they work within the, the framework of the system. So no question. And certainly with the focus on behavioral, and throughout the entire organization, a lot of that is company culture. And certainly for me being a part of a couple of your sessions and seeing how you integrate your culture, if you will, along with the company's culture, which the company that we work together at had a very dynamic culture because we had a very dynamic leader, is culture really has just continued on a very constant uptick throughout my professional career. Whereas you kind of go from you know, the GE days and the Jack Welch where, you know, the cultures were just going to churn out the bottom performers, churn out the bottom performers, churn out the bottom performers. Now it's about so much more than that. It really is about associate engagement, client engagement, creating that fun, energetic atmosphere. I, I do think certain um, contributing factors are eroding that a little bit from private equity and big uh, external investors and those types of things. But really, that really is a passion of yours is holding that culture together. Why do you think it's so important to companies today to really continue to go after that really iconic culture? Yeah, well, I think you probably heard that quote by Peter Drucker. It says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. Uh, so, and I, that's very true. And um, it's like, because I think companies, they, have, they can have a great strategy business strategy, but the culture will always win out every single time. And um, I think that the focus on culture is so important right now. And just because it's like top of mind for me is that right now we're looking at as of September, 4.4 million Americans have quit their jobs. Wow. And, and the majority of that is, is in relation to their call for a shift in dynamics in the culture because they're wanting more flexibility. They're not wanting to put their personal life behind their, you know, their professional mm -hmm. life. Um, they're wanting more opportunities to see individuals who aren't part of a select group of people be given opportunities to be able to rise in leadership as well. And so there's a big signal for change. And I think that 4.4 million is showing business leaders today why their cultures need to shift and shift quickly. Yeah. And it really is more than just a buzzword. I think, I think a lot of people try to just escape with, hey, we've got a great culture. You know, we've got uh, a company picnic or we've got, we celebrate birthdays or that's not a culture. That's, that's, an, that's an item. That's a single event. A culture you can feel, um, you know, I always, when we worked at NAE and, and I got to know you, I always told people when you walked in the halls of NAE, you felt the culture. You didn't need to be told about it. And to me, that represents Southwest Airlines. I'm a huge fan of Southwest Airlines. I think they have an amazing culture. You don't have to ask them what their culture is. You can tell the minute that you step onto the plane and interact with their associates. Do you agree that that's very, um, that that's similar, that you can just tell a company's culture by how you walk in, how you get greeted, how you engage? Yeah, absolutely. If you think of the iceberg, right, it, that's the stuff that you notice that's above the iceberg. And, and when it's that um, pervasive in a good way, when it's that pervasive, then you know there's things underneath the surface that are helping to support that. People yeah. are really working to maintain that. And I think we've all been in companies where you walk in and you can kind of tell it's not quite a great place to work, even though you see the values and all these things plastered across the walls, people aren't happy to be there. 
you can yeah. just tell and the service isn't so great either right so yep. I, I think that's one of the things that just came up as you were describing that is like you know with NAE as well as an example it's like that culture permeates into the type of and the quality of service that's being delivered to the client yeah I would agree I would agree and through that, you know, I really got the sense that you focus on the individual. Um, yes, it's a company strategy. The company is hiring you and your team to come in and perform the services. But your, your ability to focus on the individual in a group setting and aside really made the difference. Why is the individual, regardless of level of the organization, so important to you to make that connection point? Yeah, I think um, I haven't thought about that before. Uh, I think, I think it's because we don't hire numbers, right? We don't hire robots, we hire individuals. And what we also know from all the research and the psychology, psychological research behind engagement and motivation is, is that individuals want to feel as though they're making a difference and that they actually have an impact on the bottom line and the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And um, it's easy Right. It's easy when we're an executive at the top levels to be able to focus on the numbers and be seen as a number because honestly, they're looking at the macro level. And so you need to do that or else you drive yourself nuts. However, we know that each individual leader in the organization, regardless of their level, has to look at the micro level of their team. And that's the human being, that's the individual. And yeah. so we have to take into consideration what are the strengths, the challenges and the motivators of each individual on our team and really get away from that cookie cutter approach to leading and managing people as if they were all equal and the same. Um, so really seeing them as the human being that they are and adapting who we are and the way we work with them. Wow. And when you're able to do that, you, you bring so much energy to it. Like I said, it, it's, you know, I got the sense that whether it's a group size of 20 or 200, you would be able to make that connection and add somewhat of a level of intimacy to it, because I think you have to, so you can resonate with the individuals. What, what got you comfortable being on that stage and on that setting? Most people have such a fear of public speaking and presentation. I think you're very gifted at it. Um, and how, how did you kind of overcome or get very comfortable in that and then hone your craft to continue to excel at it? Yeah, I think part of that comes from my coach training because it really is about helping the other person or making the other person feel seen. Mm. And, and you can do that with a one-on-one -on -one or you can actually do it across many people because you can have those right um, examples or those right stories that are going like, to kind of like really hit that person like right in the heart. And then that's yeah. going to kind of pull them in. Um, but I will say, um, you don't see all the self-talk and the meditation that goes on <laughs> before I step in front of all those individuals. Mm -hmm. um, people will often say, I'll ask them, like, what disc style do you think I am? And they're like, oh, you're that people person, that outgoing individual. And I am not, actually. Mm. Um, I'm not. I'm a, I call myself an extroverted introvert. So I can be extroverted when I need to. But after I'm off that stage, um, I'm gone and I'm all by myself. So, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. So you talked a little bit about this. So that's a great, a great segue right into our next. So talk a little bit about some of the services that your company provide, because we talked a little bit about coaching, behavioral coaching, you just brought up kind of disc assessments and personality traits. So what types of services does your company all get into? 
Yeah, so you mentioned leadership and executive coaching. Um, mm-hmm. We also do um, next generation leadership development. So if those first time managers, we have a program that we offer where we take them through soup to nuts, how to be the best manager from setting direction, you know, to providing feedback, coaching, and how to do some of those counseling conversations when all those things fail, um, you know, to kind of yeah. work our way into the other direction. Um, and as, as an IO psychologist, for me, it's like I, I do anything related to the entire employee life cycle from hiring okay. to firing. Um, and so many of my team members do as well. Um, in addition to executive coaching, I also do trusted leadership advising, which is typically what we will tack on to the end of a coaching engagement. And I might work with a leader for two or three years beyond that, where it's not coaching per se, but um, but like I'll meet with them like once a quarter and they know that they have two hours of my time every quarter to be able to talk about things that are top of mind for them. And it kind of crosses the line from coaching into some advising and consulting. So we kind of blend that relationship together, Mm -hmm. which typically Mm -hmm. keep very separate when we're coaching. Um, And then we do a lot of assessments. We do people assessments, team assessments, culture assessments. We do a lot of assessments, including hiring assessments, which which recently has become um, pretty hot topic for us, for people to call us about because they're wanting to reduce the level of bias that's in their hiring process to ensure that they're not being discriminatory when they're mm. hiring, not just leaders, but anyone. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we can't escape the fact that we're human and that we're all, we all have implied bias, you know, it shows up as we show up. Mm-hmm. And um, the only way to at least reduce a portion of that is to use an objective assessment that can kind of challenge assumptions as to why we're making the choices that we're making and help us make Yeah. So uh, that brings up a great point is there are so many leaders of organizations that I've run across throughout my career that they just, I'm great at hiring people. I've just got a great, you know, gut instinct on individuals. I, I don't make those kinds of mistakes, but I, I really do think when I was first exposed to pre-employment assessments, um, it's certainly as the employee and you're applying for a position, it's a bit uncomfortable because you're getting proded and poked all over, but it really does make a difference. And you bring in some of that science and then have somebody like you helping you understand the science. What type of success rates do you normally see from kind of an onboarding and a retention rate when they do go to a pre-employment assessment as well as some level of engagement from you or your team instead of just shooting from the hip and hiring off the gut? I think you hit it, but it, it definitely is around higher level of engagement because the person's in a job that they're really suited for, not a job that they might be reaching for, that they might not be mm-hmm. suited for, um, and retention, retention for sure, partly because wow. they're engaged, but also because they're in the right role. Yeah. It, it, to me, it just makes all the sense in the world. A little bit of upfront expense uh, really reduces, if not eliminates, that churn that so many companies have of where you just hire the wrong individual or the right individual for the wrong job, like you said. And I think more often than not, companies do that. Great person, maybe even a great culture fit. We've just absolutely got them misplaced in the organization, either from a leadership or an expectation or accountability standpoint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I like that you said the investment up front because for like, you know, like maybe one of our assessments costs like 200 and some change, right? On the upfront side, 
But what they don't realize is if they don't go through that process and they just kind of leave it up to chance, which a lot of organizations do, like, oh, I like them, so great, let's bring them in, it can cost up to 200% of that person's salary, depending oh upon God. the level of the role, how hard it is to hire for that role. And now that we're in the period of great resignation, it's going to be, it goes 90 to 200%, but it's going to be toward that higher percentage wow. or even beyond 200% now that there's a war for talent. So yeah. better to pay the 200 and some odd dollars up front than it is to have to pay on the back end. Uh, yeah, certainly. And I hadn't really thought about it until you started talking about it. Just how much more valuable, in my opinion, I'll use the term valuable, your services are now becoming because of this workforce war that is out there because the labor force is so difficult right now um, because there's so many open jobs, the great resignation, a lot of people sidestep, you know, stepping out to choose lifestyle over work and finding that combination where they can get satisfied on both ends, which I think is phenomenal. And I really hope that we as a country and corporate community can all find that. But as, as you go forward, it was even over the last 10 or 15 years, you know, the expectation of somebody being in the same job or same company for 20, 30 years, you know, those days are mostly gone. So I think really now your services become that much more important is how do you hire the right person for the right job and then keep them. Um, because we we are through the midst of this pandemic and this virtual workforce, I have said that I think we're creating the most transitory workforce in history. Um, yes. Because you don't have to do anything to change jobs anymore it, other than your login. You're just logging into a different internet. Your commute to the living room is the exact same from your bedroom. And your laptop is still gonna function the same. The Zoom camera still works the same. So we really now have this transitory workforce where there's nothing we're asking them to change in their life to switch jobs where it used to be you're leaving friends, you're leaving your office, you're leaving all of those. And so how much more important now does that retention and investment into those associates become? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and some, and in many cases, that's a big mindset shift for one of our senior executives. Mm -hmm. They're having to really take that more seriously now. Yeah. You know, I joked, if you've been to Disney world and you ever went to the GE carousel of progress way back in the day, it's like, oh, you know, yeah. had you go through these little carousels around time. And that last one showed that family that was the, the wife was actually working from home and she had to, you know, she was finished and she turned to her family and they started having their family life. And I was like, wow. here we are. And they've, they predicted it way back in like probably the nineties when they wow, had that scene. Yeah. So right. I had totally forgotten about that. That's very interesting. Every person can find value somewhere in this episode with Tom. One incredible journey he has gone through to get to where he is at today. I know you do not want to miss next week's second part as we dive more into organizational leadership. So you can subscribe on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and our website.